Hi, this is Damon Pistolka, host of the Faces of Business podcast, where we talk to interesting people about life and business. We cover their backgrounds, obstacles they've encountered, and find out what drives them. Along the way, our guests share nuggets you can use to drive your success. Reach me directly, D-A-M-O-N at ExitYourWay.us, or check out our website, ExitYourWay.us, for more information. I hope you enjoy our show. All right, everyone. Welcome once again to the Face of the Business. I'm your host, Damon Pistalka, and I have with me today none other than Janine Lazeline Berglund with the Canadian Association of Mole Makers. Janine, welcome. Thank you so much, Damon. I have been a huge, well, I, I can say longtime fan, first time attendee. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. Well, I don't know about that. So so we'll see. So we'll see. If I'm still if I'm still in your good graces at the end, then we'll we'll see how it goes. Absolutely. But Janine, it's so awesome to have you here today because a couple things. I love associations because most people don't pay enough attention to associations. We're going to talk about those a little bit more. And mold makers. Mm. I grew up doing that. I literally started out when I was in college, worked my way through college. I started sweeping the floor in a tool room in a molding company. And I start, then I started to draft by hand. Yep. Mold on and the, the big old thing with the, all that. I did that for four years while I went to school until we finally, I actually was the one that bought the CAD system and did that as we go on. But I mean, it's always been a passion of mine. I stayed in molding almost 15 years. Uh, love the industry. Still, th just yesterday, I talked with the the uh, the now owner of the company that that I worked for all those years ago. Holy started cow. my career with, and it's just it's just a fascinating thing. And 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 when you look at the complexity of mm -hmm. the tooling. And when you look at the kind of equipment it takes to build it, the precision that those tool makers have with they when they make that stuff and the way it fits together, and oh my goodness, it's it, to me it's just a it's a labor of love, but they get to do it every day. I think of it like moving puzzle pieces in a precision timing in order to be able to. You know, when you think about how these things operate and the time yeah. that it takes to put things together and how it creates unique features, I, it really, you're absolutely right. It's fascinating. And much like you, I kind of started at the bottom too. I uh, came back after a very short military career um, and was enrolled in an engineering school um, and started drafting just like you, but also started uh, as an apprentice mold maker. So I am, uh, nice. I'm a journey person. Uh, that's where I started. Yeah. So yeah, this will this will bring back memories for you. I remember drafting. So once I got off the floor, because I was a bit of a distraction on the floor, I like was the only girl working there. We didn't have they didn't even have a restroom for me. Oh god. Yeah. yeah so we had like uh we had uh, cinder block walls that they had strung some wire between, and you know we had like some shop coats hanging up there, and that was kind of like my little zone. But anyway, yeah. long story short, uh, once I moved up into engineering and was doing drafting. Um, I started out and I thought I was the cat's meow, let me tell you. I was in AutoCAD version three in DOS and I had a digitization board. Yep. I thought I was flying the space shuttle. I was so, I was so sweet. Yeah. Yeah. I remember those days. I remember uh -huh. those days. And that's, that's awesome because, you know, we really, uh, you got to think about that. The molding industry was already well established mm -hmm. in those days. Yep. And now I continue to talk with my people, my friends that are still in the industry, the technical people that are working with the plastics, the people that are working in the, the production of the stuff. And it's just amazing how it continues to, to grow, to grow and advance and accelerate the learning and the, the knowledge about plastics. Yeah. Well, and I got to tell you, like part of the, I believe part of the secret sauce of my success was that foundational learning and really understanding manufacturability. So once I got to um, different levels of responsibility, you know, having that keen sense of what works and what doesn't work and what's doable and what's not doable and how to lead people through that ended up serving me really, really well. I wouldn't, you know, I, I remember at the time thinking, what the heck did I do? 
Um, but, you know, as you look back now, you're thinking that was probably the best learning opportunity that I could have had. And I was working with people who were, you know, superstars in that industry, unbeknownst to me at the time. And the value yeah. of their guidance at the time was priceless. But, you know, when you're young, you don't appreciate those things. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. That's amazing. And it, it, the, the similarity is really crazy. It's really crazy for me, too, because the the I it's the third now they're into the third generation of the business that I started with. And the 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 founder uh, would would literally sit down with me for an hour here and there and just talk to me about business. And I look back at that now and I'm like, that was the most valuable thing that yeah. I probably had at that time in my life, because I didn't grow up in a in a family where there was business. I didn't grow up in, you know, where my my parents really knew my parents certainly didn't know manufacturing, but just like you said, that those people are that that interaction with those real the foundational people in the industry are so cool. Yeah, well, and you know, I'm, I'm sure you had the same experiences. You know, when I started, the owners primarily were still working in the business. You know, mm -hmm. they were on the shop floor. They were approachable. Um, you know, I I I. I dare say today that that might be hard to find. I remember once um, I hadn't met the owner of the company yet. I started with a firm and, uh, you know, had been there for a little bit, you know, maybe a month. I don't even know. Um, and, and we were working in a place and this is terrible to say, but we had a bit of a rodent problem. And so yeah. there was this little guy that came in and was, you know, I knew he was the exterminator because I'd been introduced to him and I didn't think twice about it. And then when I saw him the next day, you know, I gave him a little wink and a nod and, you know, just had a little chuckle with him about the rodents and went on my day. And a colleague pulled me aside and said, you know, do you know who you were just talking with? And I said, yeah, it's the exterminator. He was here yesterday. He's like, no, you dumb bum. Yeah. That's the owner of our company. <laughs> and I was like, oh, well, you know, he had the Thunder Bay dinner jacket on and the rubber boots and a thick, heavy Australian actor, Austrian accent. I thought for sure that was him. Who knew? <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. You no, know, they were pretty unpretentious back in those days, for sure. Well, exactly, exactly, and that's so yeah. nice. Well, we've got a couple of people. We got Gail listening from Windsor. So, and Gail is an awesome support, honestly, no and doubt. she is also a member of the Canadian Association of Mold Makers Board. So, uh, um, you know, she does amazing things with us behind the scenes. She keeps me humble, um, and she helps me, you know, improve my confidence on things like we're doing today. I'm, I'm very much and have always been a behind the scenes whiz. And this is really uh, the first time that I've been out in front. So um, I really appreciate her every day. Really? Yeah, she's awesome. She's awesome. And we got Ingor is here saying hello. Oh, thanks I love so Inger much. too. Yeah, Inger, thanks so much. And uh, yeah, just great. And you, you are right. Gail is such a great influence and and just shows us how to get out, get out and do what we should do. Yeah. Yeah, and, absolutely. Yeah. Love it. So then you're you're working in the molding and <laughs> and and you you somehow then you're then is that when you went to GM and we're working at GM after the molding or? Was yeah. Yeah. So I finished my apprenticeship and then I did what every young woman does. They follow their loved, you know, their love, their Prince Charming. Yeah. Yeah. They follow them, uh, you know, uh, around the globe, but not quite around the globe. But certainly we did a northern tour of uh, Canada. He at the time was an air traffic controller. And so the only thing oh, yeah. we could get was, you know, um, northern uh, northern postings. And so yeah. we lived what I like to, I was an expatriate in my own country. Like it yeah. was kind of weird. But anyway, um, we did that for a number of years, had a couple of kids and uh, came to a point in our lives where we both grew up in really big extended families and thought, oh, you know, our kids don't know their cousins. They don't know yeah. their aunts and uncles. You know, maybe it's time for us to consider seeing what we can do closer to home. So um, I came back to the Windsor area and I just, you know, started connecting with people that I had known from the industry. And within a week, I had five job offers. And so wow. I just took the one that was going to be best for my family and called my husband and said, you know, pack up the kids, put in for a transfer. It's time. Yeah, yeah. But we lived, uh, we lived in an area. We raised our kids in an area outside of the Windsor area. Um probably about an hour. So I spent the better part of 15, almost 20 years commuting 
over an hour to work and he did as well going the opposite direction so that's when i started with gm and i was at ford and i was at chrysler so i you know and spent uh, a tremendous amount of time also in the supply chain so yeah i really enjoyed those years yeah so what were some of the things you were doing at the automotive companies well um you know as a floor supervisor i gotta tell you one story here you know floor supervisor and I have always really enjoyed working with people. I love, you know, connecting with them and understanding what makes them tick. And, you know, we can talk about, you know, the whole leadership development stuff. And that that's really not what it was about for me. That kind of came naturally. Um, yeah, yeah. But, you know, just talking to people and listening to their concerns and finding out what they thought about things. And, and it surprised me the number of times that people said, you know, nobody's ever asked me that. Um, but so I started in, in floor supervision um, and I was in every department. I was in the paint department. I was in body and white. Uh, for those of you who don't know what body and white is, it's basically where everything gets welded and assembled together in the shell of a vehicle. Um, I was in uh, paint department. Did I say that already? I was in chassis. It was an engine. Wow. I was in final car. So, you know, I, I, in, in a few different models. So it was kind of an exciting wow, time. Cool. But then I also was in the foundry for a while. So I was everywhere and I got really good at being a really good supervisor. Uh -huh. So they would send me in, you know, the later parts of my career, they would send me in when a group kind of needed cleaning up. And I remember <laughs> a colleague saying one time, you know, they just have to announce that you're going to a group and it starts to clean itself up like that. That's the kind of reputation. <laughs> you have. And then at some point somebody said, you know, you don't even really need to come to work. And I was like, why, what are you talking about? He says, well, your purse runs the department. You go in in the morning, you get all the boards set up, you put your purse on the desk, you make sure the office light is on and you go upstairs for a cup of coffee and magically people come in and they just start working. <laughs> yeah, all right. <laughs> Um, but, you know, it was a great compliment to me because I didn't need to yeah. use a lot of discipline to get there. And that was really a heavy perspective back in those days. You know, you were always trying to hammer those that didn't want to conform to what was going on. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I had my fair share of that, too. I didn't take any I didn't take any uh, flack. But yeah. um, it, it always occurred to me that, you know, there might be three or four people that really cause you a lot of heartache. But. The rest of those hundred people are really watching to see what you do with that. And those are the people's respect that I really wanted to earn. Yeah, you, you are right. You are right. And that's that's so key in leadership is really the consistency mm -hmm. and and doing the right thing because everyone is watching every single second. Yeah. And and that's that's one of the things that. Um, yeah, that's really cool to hear. And because. It's it's just one of those it's it's just one of those things that a lot of newer leaders don't understand. It's it's like you're you have to and today it's a lot different too in in the yeah. fact that we're supposed to share more personal stuff and that kind of thing. But I still think as a as a leader today, you can share that personal stuff along with the expectation of I'm sharing the personal stuff with you right now, still means you have to perform what you're supposed to do in your work day. And, and do your best there. Otherwise, it's it just not going to work out. Well, and I think that's what, um, you know, it miss, it's missed on a lot of people that, you know, I used to have, a, so this old guy, his name was Skip. He was like 105 when I started at GM. <laughs> and he, he was like, I don't know, the general foreman, I think, for our whole department. And, you know, he would come and pick me up on the golf cart and he'd give me advice all the time because I think I spent my first three months at GM crying every day after my shift. But anyway, I digress. Um, so he would come, you know, he kind of took me under his wing and and, uh, you know, taught me some real valuable lessons. And, you know, one of them was that, you know, you've arrived as a as a leader when you can have relationships with your people. But when they cross the line, you still can, you know, yeah. you still need to do what, your job. And I remember that kind of ringing in my ears a couple of times. And, That's and awesome. You know, and there's no reason why we have to be enemies. It's not about that. It's, you know, we can have a genuine human connection, but I have my job and you have your job. And the expectation is that we both do them. Yes. Yes. That's, that's, that, that is such a great way to explain it because leaders do need to do that. Right. And, and yeah, yeah it's, it's great to share, but at the end of the day, it's about, are we doing what we need to do? And, and if we are, it's awesome. It's even better. But when we don't, 
it's it we have to as a leader you have to take care of it because uh in some of my past i was actually doing turnarounds in companies and and mm -hmm. that's when you're in the the worst of the situations in some respects but you have to yeah. save the company to keep the jobs of the people you can so the things that you have you you know laying people off whatever you have to do to get the company running right it is because you want to keep the rest of the core of the company working and and, the, and going forward yeah. but uh, Ingor talks about this real quick, though. She says, I don't know if there could be a little rodent problem. <laughs> yeah. Well, well I, I think if you spend enough time in the danks of manufacturing, like some of us have, a, a small rodent problem is actually the least of your worries in yeah. some respects. <laughs> yeah, the, Keeping things that, running uh, certainly had its challenges back in the day, for yeah. sure. And, and said, that's where things have really come a long way too. you know, manufacturing was that at least when I started, I'm sure it might have been the same for you, Damon, that, you know, these weren't ideal uh, spaces to work in, you know, and yeah. there are some dirty jobs that still need to continue to go on. But for all intents and purpose, manufacturing as an environment has changed significantly. Right. Yeah. And housekeeping, you know, the focus that's spent on housekeeping as a way to prevent injury and health health issues yeah. has i've really seen a progression of that over the years for sure no doubt you can eat off literally eat off of most floors in manufacturing facilities yeah. now and and even if it's something that's that's you know like a wood place that's doing woodworking they still are very very clean with the facilities just because of the safety aspect and yeah. the long-term maintenance too that's another thing that really really makes a big difference yeah um but yeah, you're really, you're right. You know, manufacturing today is not what it was 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 50 years ago, for sure. And one of the things that I often talk to people about is attracting young people into manufacturing mm -hmm. because like you, myself, wonderful careers in manufacturing, these young people that get out and don't consider manufacturing and, and consider the fact that Hey, if if college is great for me and I'm in science or I'm in business or I'm in marketing, do I want to do manufacturing? Because that industry is something that's really interesting rather than I'm going to go out and work for, you know, mention X big software company where yeah. they where they aren't making something like cool, like cars or you know, whatever. Listen, it's about the tangibility of having yeah, yeah. gratification at the end of the day. Right. Yeah. Um, and I say the same thing, you know, the thing that's beautiful to me about manufacturing and particularly, so I spend a lot of time, I mean, I've worked in really large and very global firms, but the majority of the time that I really enjoyed where, where, where I was in a smaller space and I knew that just by showing up that day and doing my job that I could have an impact. And if yeah. that's something that's important to you, then manufacturing, particularly in the small to medium sized enterprise is the place you want to be. Yeah. Yeah. And, and especially when you like that, that satisfaction of doing something, because you can, you can, kids can get out of high school and they can go to work for manufacturers in a couple of years of doing it. They can have a very nice career yep. and they can, they can go home at night knowing that they've done something. They can see the progress of their work in, in that day and, and it's safe and it's clean. And it's, I just, I just can't. And, well, and you know what? All manufacturers need HR people. They need IT people. Yeah. They need finance people, right? This is not, we're not talking More than about ever. careers that were, you know, technical in nature, like the one that I had, yeah. you know, and they need people who have strong people skills and can talk to people and ask questions. And that was the other thing I wanted to say to you too, you know, on that side of things, asking questions instead of there is a tone here with manufacturing that, you know, it's, if I, if I step out of line, I'm going to get hammered. Um, you know, I would always tell junior supervisors, at least, you know, don't go off half cocked right away. You know, ask a question like what happened? What were you thinking? What made you make that decision? You know, yeah. and and start in that conversation. And that holds true in every position. And I think, you know, when we're talking about young people in careers here, I think it's important to engage them in those discussions as well. We're in, I don't know about you, but, you know, being born in the Windsor area um, and having, 
you know, a, an awesome career that was pretty much that whole area, right? I worked in the yeah. Detroit area and, you know, but I, I it was always within a hundred, I'm going to call it kilometers. So roughly 60 go. miles of work, uh, yep. you know, in and around the area. Um, it, it, to me, seemed that the nature, particularly of automotive manufacturing, was really cyclical, right? We have really good years, and then there's a crash, and then we have really good years, and then there's a crash. And I think that for parents, maybe who had um, less professional careers in manufacturing, the nature of that instability has caused them to guide their their kids or their grandkids away from manufacturing. And you know that's it, that will always exist and it doesn't matter what business. But when we talk about manufacturing, we're also not only talking about cars. Yeah, yeah. Right? It's yeah. so broad. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. And some of these diversified manufacturers now, I know a lot of places aren't in just one industry, but like here where I'm at in the in the northwest, you know, yeah, aerospace is huge. Yeah. It, it's it's huge. And if you're not in it, you're not you're not gonna have the business you you could have. And that's that's what drives that. But there are a lot of diverse manufacturers, a lot of different, as you said, different skill sets needed from A to Z, literally, yeah. in, in those those manufacturers. I mean, they're hiring doctors and nurses in these, in these big facilities. I mean, it's it's it literally just about you can think of it. Yeah. And they, they probably hire people to do it. So that's awesome. And one of the things we have, uh, Mike Hicks is here today with us as well. So somebody hey, you, know. you love Mike. Mike is also a, a director with CAM. Um, Mike hosts, I got to tell you, Mike hosts one of the funnest golf tournaments that I've ever been at. I, we, I have a buddy and she and I used to attend every year without fail. And we would have so much fun. It was unbelievable. And he is a workhorse, this guy. He is constantly, tirelessly behind the scenes, being the best ambassador for our industry that you can imagine. He and he knows everybody. That's the other thing. He's been around long enough, and he's not that old, yeah. um, but he's been around long enough. He just knows everybody. Well, he's been busy at it then. That's for sure. That's that awesome. Sure. That's awesome. Well, great to have you here today, Mike. And we got um, Gail's got a Gail talked about the golf tournament. She said, you know. It's made the annual golf tournament epic. That's great. Uh, and then he's also uh, our historian, I should say that. So Cam um, cel is celebrating ooh. its 40th year this yeah. year. The association yeah. is, and Mike has been with it since the beginning, um, wow. and is our historian. So he's got always tons of stories to share and lots of pictures. And he was, you know, in many ways primarily responsible for our ability to be able to take a a bit of a tiptoe through the tulips at our AGM last month. Nice. Nice. Yeah. That's awesome. Cause when you look back at these industries, it really is the, the history is, is really something. And, and the Canadian association of mole, mole makers, I'm sure is no, like many where you look back and you go, Oh my, mm -hmm. it's really something now. So as you look at mole making, uh, what are some of the things that you look back and go, wow, it's changed so much? Um, it, you know, like you, you'll remember when we were working on mill machines or or lathes or, uh, you know, a lot of the equipment we were using to cut metal was basically 2D, 3D yeah. if we were lucky, yeah. right? Now we're talking about five axis, six axis, we're you know, unmanned machining is very prevalent in the industry now, which means you don't need to have an operator standing there running the equipment. Um, they run on programs now. There is uh, some intuitive intelligence in these machines and pieces of equipment now that are collecting data. And when we talk about cutting metal, we're always trying to optimize the amount of time that we can take mm -hmm. to cut metal and the precision to which we can cut it. And gosh, yeah. the, it, that's the other thing that's come such a long way. You know, there was a time when we would have to cut metal two, three, maybe even four times in order to reach the tolerance that was needed yeah. for, the, for the precision of the work that we were doing or the surface clarity of it. Um, that can be done in nanoseconds today. And it's amazing to me. 
um, you know, there's a lot of tool makers. There was a saying back in the day that, you know, if you were a tool maker and you weren't missing, you know, the tip of a finger or something, you weren't very good at your job. And, you know, today I'm looking at, you know, young people entering this now and they're like, they don't even come out dirty. Like they're clean, like their uniforms are clean when they leave work. Like what the heck's that all about? I used to have like scars in my hands from blue chips and, you know, you name it. I probably, you know, hurt myself doing it, but yeah. Yep. And it happens in an instant. That's for sure. And they, yeah. that the, um, it is, that's awesome because you, ta- how you just, you just unloaded a lot of stuff there because when you look back at the uh, years ago, 20, 30 years ago, when you're trying to hold very tight tolerances, it is, it's like, you know, it's slow, 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 slow. And it's slow back and forth and back and forth and yeah. back and forth. And all of that is, you know, waste and time that the industry yeah. can't afford anymore. That yeah. and think about Damon, think about just the intricacies of pieces, you know, the design elements of yeah. things that you can produce in one shot now, as opposed to two or three different progressive shots, right? The, the ability to be able to put features into um, you know, pieces of plastic that help either with uh, design or cosmetic feature are, that is amazing to me how we can now, uh, you know, we were talking before the broadcast started now about thinking about mold making today, you know, it was rather static when we were there, you know, it opened, there might've been a few things that pointed out yeah. of it, part lifted out, it was bing, bing, Bob's your uncle, you know, today with slides and mechanisms that are coming in and out at different times of the plastic injecting into the tool to create features or, or even hidden features that you, you know, are, you can't see unless you're looking for it is amazing to me how, how we put that together in this day and age. Yeah. Yeah. Because that, that wasn't even considered. No, it wasn't even considered, you know, that, and when you look just, I was anything you look at now and you, you literally look at the complexity of the, the tiny, whatever you want to look, it, it could be the remote yeah. control that runs your TV or, or some vacuum cleaner or something that the, the features, the way that they're integrating different materials, and different materials, you know, stable pieces, there's inserts now that they can put into things and mold around it. You yeah. think about two shot, three shot processes where there might be different kinds of plastic or material that they're mm-hmm. shooting in at different stages, you know, parts are coming out more complete and with more features than they ever have in the past. Yeah. Yeah. And that drives the complexity of the tooling that it takes to make them. So the mold makers are the ones that get to figure out how to do that. That's right. That's right. So about how many members are there in the Canadian Association of Mold Makers? Um, You know, we're probably at the lowest point we have ever been. And I think a large part of that is due to the COVID crisis. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a lot of folks that have had to tighten their belts. So we're oh, yeah. under, we're under a hundred, but okay. you know, we have some, we have some pretty aggressive targets for yeah. this coming year. Um, and going along with that, I mean, we, this is the discussion we've really had when it comes time for a company to tighten their belt. And you yep. know, this as well as anybody does, they take a look at where they're spending their money. And if they're not paying membership dues to be a part of an organization, or an association it's because they don't see value yeah and you know for us and the livelihood uh, or the lifeblood of what we do uh, you know is around being able to provide value so if we're not providing value that should be speaking volume so it's not just about the loss of membership and the loss of that revenue yeah, it's yeah. about you know how is the industry changing and how are we going to stay on top of that in order to support people so that they feel like there's value and that's a large part of the conversation and a lot of the strategic activities that we've been taking on lately. That's that's awesome because someone told me the other day, they said, it's different if you're selling somebody, selling something to somebody personally, because mm-hmm. they may not have the money for it. But in business, they have the money for it if it's something they think is, is valuable that they need. That's right. They, they will come up with the money for it. That's and, right. And, basically what they said. So I think you're, you're running into some of the same situations that every association is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, it's no different. I don't think across, across the globe, probably, honestly. And so what are some of the things that you're excited about in, in, in leading this new, new wave in the Canadian association of mold makers? And, and uh, what do you really look towards the future and go, man, there's some good stuff coming. 
Well, one of it is um, being able to provide, uh, let's, let's take it back. I mean, aside from the strategic work that all associations do, which are heavily rooted in, you know, marketing a sector is, is high on their list of things to do. Uh, being uh, an advocacy body, you know, for government policy or, uh, you know, social policy. Um, those are always going to be important things that associations do uh, on behalf of members and why it has some value for membership. But that can't be the only reason. Yeah. You know, when we look at, again, our association does well because a lot of the companies that we have inside of the association are still considered small to medium sized enterprises by uh, employability standards. So we're not mm -hmm. necessarily talking about dollars, we're talking about how many people they employ. Yep. And even in the space there, um, you know, in comparison to, let's say, maybe some other industries, uh, you know, there is a lot of pressure and the profit margins can be really, really difficult. Um, and so being able to help them plug the gaps in their own operations mm -hmm. is one of the ways that we provide value. So the things that we're most excited about is being able to provide, you know, opportunity for learning, just like every industry, you know, skill development, we have been talking about skill development for the better part of 20 years, we've been talking about the loss of skilled trades for the better part of 20 years, you know, and, and we haven't been successful at moving that dial as as much as maybe we had hoped. But there's a lot to also be said for supporting skill development inside your building. Yeah. Right? Um, and, you know, we're not suggesting here that we're going to offer, you know, the latest and greatest on on molding techniques. But, you know, being able to help you offset your costs for things that you have to do is mm -hmm. one way that we can provide value. So finding ways to consolidate learning opportunities for legislated training, for instance, um, or expertise on other areas of your business. So what about um, R&D. Uh, in Canada, we have a program called um, SR&ED. It's a rebate program with our revenue agency, a Canadian revenue agency, that provides a payback for money that you spend on research and development. It is one of the ways they're hoping that it stimulates innovation into commercialization. That was the mm -hmm. purpose of that in the first place. So, you know, they might not understand all the ins and outs of those programs. So making sure that we have learning opportunities for that. Or, you know, how about even quality certification programs? You know, mm -hmm. quality and total quality management are still things that are important, you know, and maybe leadership development. We're not 100% sure yet. And a lot of it will be determined by um, the feedback we get from members on where the biggest holes yeah. the businesses are. So, you know, our goal here is to provide services that help them stabilize their businesses. Um, yeah. That That's one way that <clears throat> we're really looking to move the Dow forward um, this particular but year. That's that's cool because it, it you, you do have to reinvent yourself a bit, right? I, yeah. I think because it's it's one thing to put on a trade uh, a trade show, let people come to it, Okay, that's a e to me, that's an easier way, right? Put the and trade it's pretty well known, and it's well known, right? Yeah. yeah, exactly. And but to to really get in with your members and go, what is it that I can do for all of you that will ease as a burden. group ease yeah. burden, allow you to sleep better at night, things that will make your life better, make yep. your businesses better, and really get to the core of it. If you do that, that's long-term value that you're going to be able to drive to the association. Yeah, exactly. So those are the things that we're really looking at. And then, you know, uh, on top of that, trying to create a community. Uh, you know, it wasn't that long ago where our particular association would host dinner meetings. And it was an opportunity for members to get together and have face-to-face -face discussion and, you know, kick the tires on, you know, whatever was, whatever, ton machine was, you know, happened to be the latest and greatest and who was doing what. And, you know, there's there's always an eye towards competitiveness. Let's not be crazy. There was a time, yeah. you know, where I didn't talk about where I bought my Kleenex because that was a competitive advantage. But, yeah. you know, it was an opportunity for people to have these face-to-face -face discussions and they would occasionally bring in a guest speaker to talk about something important. You know, COVID, if for no other reason, has forced us to look at different ways 
to connect with people and yeah. it, in lieu of having these face-to-face -face opportunities. And so we're spending a lot of time understanding that because the value side of that is the membership dollars go further if we yes. can find more cost-effective ways to deliver that same experience and continue to garner that same excitement without having to spend the kind of money we're spending for in-person services. So where it yeah. makes sense, we're looking at, at doing those things too and creating that community. I mean, in a perfect state, I would love uh, to see more collaboration between members. And so we're starting to do that as well. So we have some uh, board committees now that will be yeah. taking on, you know, some of the things that there's only two of us in the association that are managing things day to day. So, yeah. you know, our time gets used up very quickly, but if we can leverage that activity ac across committees, it's another yeah. way to get people involved. It's another perspective for us to be able to collect an opinion or data or whatever it is. And we, you know, we get the opportunity to build on the momentum that people can create. Yeah. Yeah. Cause collaboration is a, I mean, well, for, for someone that's my age, you know, you look at collaboration, we never did it. Right. Cause everybody's a competitor, but, but realistically now. Yeah. And maybe it's not so much collaboration as it is co-opetition. There you go. There you go. That's probably a much better word. You're really anyone from the ground around the globe can do what you can do today. Mm -hmm. Yep. So just like, just like anything else. So you really have to understand that. So, you know, why don't you work with people, you know, and, and like, and trust and, and try to do the best that you both can. And I think that, when you look at some of these businesses that are going back and rethinking this, um, it, there are ways that they're going to collaborate, even in molding, right? Because, yep. okay, what if somebody has a huge project that's coming down the pipe and, 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 hey, I only make molds to this size or for this kind of, you know, application, but they've got these 17 other ones that they need for this other size as an application. That's where these people can be you can be getting on the phone and keeping that stuff exactly within the group or they want it to be and, and making those or even making happier. referrals. Like, you know, yeah. our shop doesn't even have any capacity or, or that's not really our expertise, but I know it's Joe's expertise and having exactly. the reassurance that when the opportunity comes to Joe, he's going to give it back to you. Yes. And I think, you know, I think those are ideals that have always been somewhat embraced inside this group. But as the group continues to grow and as we fill our, as we as we grow into the shoes that we've built for ourselves as a national organization, you know, that backyard back over the fence referral system um, only works with people who know and trust each other. I mean, those are old sales yeah. adages we've had for a long time. How can we develop that in pockets where the cluster of these activities continue to develop and it can still be organic to a certain degree you know we're going to be we got some uh funding dollars to to actually put together uh, a program um that i can't talk too much about right now but yeah. you know essentially uh for your listeners today it you know it's called cam connects and and it essentially is going to be creating an online environment where we can take advantage of some of the things that we know how to do um and and you know support each other but the other thing here is that as we get as the industry comes back around remember we talked about it being up yeah. down and yeah. up and down and we've all lived through you know, uh, lowest cost producers and global industry now and seeing the effects of that when uh, we're facing a global pandemic and, you know, issues like reshoring USA or reshoring yeah. Canada are starting to garner some support. This is one way that we can do that in our own backyard. I mean, I've been saying that yeah. for years that the buyer, you know, automatically goes online and thinks to look for bolts at the lowest cost made in Asia before he thinks to look at who's in his own neighborhood. Yeah. And it's just the way business has developed, right? And giving each other the opportunity to have those conversations, you know, I think is a place for it to start. Yeah, no doubt. And I, and I think about this too, because as you were talking about this, you were talking about helping the members work together to be more successful. I think that one of the one of the values that an association could really bring to these members is to help them understand how to facilitate referrals how to do it because 
let's face it. Most people in business are, are they're, they're in their business doing their thing. But and rightfully can, so. Oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Rightfully it's, so. But that's where the association plays a role. Yes. In facilitating that, right? Yeah. So if we have that at our disposal, we know that we can send out that opportunity alert, you know, to the members of our yes. community and say, is anybody interested in this? And we're already doing that right now with other things like, you know, requests for media or requests for information on projects. Um, you know, we, we uh, academic requests that come in from time to time, we're already pushing out those as opportunities, um, you know, in, in subtle ways for, uh, manufacturers to connect to their community or to build their brand. Uh, you know, yeah. marketing is a heavy part of what we do. But at the same time, this is this is about changing behavior. And this is about engaging in the change of behavior to recognize that this is a community. And you can be competitors and still be in the community and have a thriving community with some co-opetition. Yeah, yeah. And that's awesome because I just, I just think about the way that you could help people collaborate uh, at the level they could. And like you said, you mentioned a couple of things, sharing opportunities among the group, yeah. uh, the, the shared learning opportunities on some of the, the regulated stuff, I think it's gotta be huge because when you look at, Hey, I've got 40 people in my facility, but this is really expensive training. Well, now if I can have two facilities come together or three facilities come together and sponsor the same training, that's a huge savings for Well, for and people. even simple things like, you know, we have a, a clinician and an HR professional who are going to be delivering an information session on how to interpret the COVID regulations and be able to apply them yeah. to business, right? Where does yeah. testing, like what are, what are those, what is the threshold for tolerance? So can I fire somebody if they don't want to get their vaccination? Like, you know, all yeah. of these questions that employers struggle with, you know, it's difficult as singular entities to be able to find the answers, particularly if they don't have a well-seasoned HR department, right? So yeah. we want to be able to provide those kinds of services, but in a community kind of way. And it's it's really taking advantage of the ideals that started this community in the first place and just growing them to a point where we're recognized as experts in this particular area. But this is how we support our experts. Yeah. Wow, you got to be having fun. I am having a ball. I mean, every day is different. I won't kid you. There's a tremendous amount of work that comes with growing at this pace and putting all of this together because yeah. the organization itself has really taken a leap from, um, you know, being a group of, of what I'm going to call working board members to now yeah. being a, a a full-fledged grown-up board of governance that guides the association on the direction that it needs to take. Um, and that's, that's still a, that's still a, that's still, that we still have some growing pains with that, but it, it, they're not in a bad way. It's just, you know, we're yeah. kind of testing the boundaries of where we want to go because the world is really big right now. The mm -hmm. options are really plentiful right now. Yeah. And what I keep reminding people is, is even if we make a decision today and it's the wrong decision, it's just a place to start. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Because we're not you, setting things in stone here. Yeah. No decision, no progress. A decision, you're going to have some progress, even if you want to change it tomorrow. Yep. Uh, good stuff. Well, I just want to thank James for being here today. Thanks so much. I know you've been listening a while. I just want to get get that. And we had some more comments from Gail and Ingor. Thanks so much. Ingor is like, oh my gosh, tip of a finger missing, not for me. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I hate to tell, tell I you. I have all mine. Yeah, I got all mine, too. I got all I almost, mine. I almost lost that one right there. I almost lost one. this one, actually, yeah, was just before yeah. I got married. I think I cut it almost halfway through no, the knuckle. I remember yeah. showing up at my wedding uh, my wedding rehearsal with the priest, and like this was like as big as a, ta a paper <laughs> towel holder. It was terrible. Yeah, you could tell we 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 were. Oh, yeah, we could we could probably share some. We could. But share that doesn't. Stories. I tell you what, though, that's we're just that was years ago. That's not like that now. That the focus on safety and cleanliness is it. It. it I mean, I, it, the the amount the the amount of uh, work worker injuries are so much less comparatively in the manufacturing. I mean, yeah. like multitudes less. Yeah, uh, and sure. when you can't even really, really even fathom how how much less it is today. And that's awesome. you know, and that's why legislation is in place, and we know that yeah. you know it. Sometimes it feels like it's a a must do, and it's the cost of doing business, but it's also the right thing to do. Yeah, yeah. Well, so I'm trying to think of a couple other things. You know, just so 
Gail, Gail said something about a cab story. And I, I just, oh, if Gail God. wants to hear, if, if Gail wants to hear a cab story, I've got to hear it. Well, if you haven't figured out at this point, you probably never will. But I'm a bit unconventional when it comes to most things in life. For whatever reason, I've always been wired. Well, my family will say I was wired wrong. Um, okay. But let's just say I'm wired differently than most people. And so and one of the things that I struggle with, even as a mature adult, is making sure I think before I say um, it, it's it's a terrible, terrible habit that oftentimes there's a step missing in the cognitive whatever is going on there. Anyway, long story short, I have I'm not proud of it, but I have I'm pretty tenacious and when I need to get stuff done, sometimes I take a few shortcuts. So, and I'm hope that we don't have any government people listening, but one of those times when, when I was living North, I had to, uh, I was applying for a government job and that government job, uh, I didn't have any experience. I had no freaking clue what they, it was a ministry of natural resources. So a bunch of tree huggers and I was yeah. in policy development. I applied for this job. I had no idea what I was doing. I lied during the interview, I got the job. <laughs> And I spent the next week at the library trying to study up on stuff so I could at least perform my job. Anyway, yeah. we it was also a time when um, I was working for a director. So it wasn't even like I started at the bottom. I was, you know. Yeah. I, anyway, um, she was well known for not good reasons with the ministry. She was a spinster. She had never married or had children. She was a career woman. She was, she was tough. She was just really tough. And, you know, she didn't have, I wouldn't call it a personable, approachable personality. Okay. And she was running, you know, a major division in policy development for natural resources. And I was her, um, I was her EA at one point. I was doing multiple things, but EA for her when she mm -hmm. came to the office was one of the things that I did. And I had worked there for months and I hadn't even received an email from her saying, hi, nice to meet you. It was all business all the time. So she flew into the area and came to the office this day uh, and, and marched her way in. And then there was a parade of people coming and going all day out of her office. And it came time for her to leave. And she came out and stood in the doorway. And I mean, I was young. So, you know, I was shaking and nervous a little bit and probably not paying as much attention to myself as I should have been. But she said, uh, I need you to call me a cab. So I literally spun around in my chair in my cubicle and said, OK, you're a cab. And then spun back around. And I thought, oh, my God, <laughs> I called her a cab. So this became the thing of legend in the office. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought for sure I had lost my job that day. I, I, I really honestly put my head down at my desk. She went back into her office and I was like, I, don't, I can't recover from this. I don't know what the heck I'm going to do. Anyway, um, it was a little bit of time had passed and I was just started packing up because I thought this is it. Um, she called me into her office and I was, you know, cowering and apologetic yeah. about the whole thing. She said, just shit, just, just shut up and sit down. And I'm like, oh, okay. And she looked at me and then she got this little smirk on her face. She said, that is the funniest thing that has ever happened to me. And we, after that day, it was history. But I'm telling you, that is not a chance that anybody should take. Yeah. Yeah. That, 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 anyway, that's the cab story. That is an awesome story. And it is, it is, uh, that is great. That is just great. Well, it's just one of so many one yeah. of so many, you know, we could tell, we could probably talk a number of times about, you know, I've been fortunate enough to travel the globe and I may have traveled the globe many times, but my luggage has seen way more than I have because um, it would get lost frequently. Yeah. But I remember being in the interior of Ohio and uh, not having any luggage. And I was there qual doing a quality audit, uh, a five day quality audit um, for my company. And um, I didn't have anything. And the, yeah. the panic that sets in, like men can get away with it, right? Hotels have stuff that you need. But, you know, when you're a girl and you're thinking about all the things you need to get ready yeah. in the morning, you're not so lucky. So I'm standing it's, in the all night Kmart yeah. at, the, at the $1 cosmetic counter um, with me and a few probably ladies of the evening 
yeah. because I didn't want to purchase everything because I already had it, yeah. you know, but there's a million stories like that, that, and, you know, asking for the wine list and being told they have a bottle of red and they had to check the back to see if there was some clear, like there's a million of them. <laughs> there's just yeah, that, you know, the that, that is the one of the things that manufacturing companies are not in typical metropolitan settings where you would, want to travel yeah they're never they're, in fiji or yeah. in cancun or yeah, yeah. no yeah. where no. there's a lot of people that don't have other things to do yeah no not so that's, much that's usually where they're at I know. well janine it's been so awesome to have you on today it's, listen it's, we could talk for hours there's so many more things we could talk about I know. And we have to have you come back because I'm thinking that we just, we want to come, we want to check in next year and see how the Canadian association, the moment we didn't even talk about automate Canada. I mean, well, we have, we'll save that one too. Yeah. We'll save that one too, but we'll talk about that another time. Cause I really want to see what you're doing next year, you know, halfway through next year, let's see how it's going. Let's see what's, what your members are, are doing. That's exciting. Let's figure that let's, let's get some buzz going in the, in the mold making industry in canada because hey two things one bring attention to it two we want to bring young people into it i we mean i just do. i just think there are so many good jobs for people that want to want to get into these technical technical fields and and really set themselves up for nice careers that that it would be awesome yeah and you know maybe we have to have a a, a some canadian association of mole makers day for for young people to come and find out what the what the industry is all about well it's Something funny you like mentioned that because we have some stuff on the way for that too including some student <laughs> programming we're going to be launching student memberships this year and define student programming so young people can connect with with Whoa. manufacturers directly so yeah. i'll be happy to talk to you about that when we do it when you get ready for it we're getting back on talking about it because you know what? Absolutely. We are we are going to get some young people involved in manufacturing because if 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 I can go down doing anything, that'd be awesome. All so, right. Listen, and you have an open door. Like you ever find yourself over on this side of the country, you just come on in. We'll always have room for you. Well, believe it or not, I've been in Windsor a few times. So who knew? <laughs> yeah, but uh, good stuff. So Janine, thanks so much for being on today. We've got Janine. Lazeline Berglund with the Canadian Association of Mole Makers. If you didn't hear her talk, you need to go back to the beginning and start over. Listen to what she's talking about, the industry, the history, and, and what's happening today. Thanks so much for being here, Janine. And thank you so much for having me. Peace out, bro. You bet. You bet. Well, if anyone wants to talk to Janine, hey, check her out on LinkedIn. You can find her on this post there, and we will have her details are also the Canadian Association of Mold Making Details on the website when we put the blog post up. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, we'll be back on Thursday.